So if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, you can click to or turn to with me. Uh, Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12 is, is where we're going to be for the next several weeks. Today or tonight is just a, it's an introductory sermon, if you will. This is, the, this is a sermon on the mount for many of you that are familiar with that. It was the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached. It was his first sermon. Uh, he came off of being the... the, the, the being tempted by, by Satan in the wilderness, right? Uh, and so, and he came off of that. He came and he launched into his, his ministry. And so this was his first sermon at the Mount of Beatitudes. If you've ever gone to the Mount of Beatitudes, you know that it's a natural amphitheater. I mean, you can see I've stood there three times. I've been there three times. And so it's, it's amazing. It's just like this natural amphitheater. Uh, your voice carries over the water. There was probably over 5,000 people. And so Jesus preached. This is the most famous, famous sermon that Jesus preached. And so when you look at the tense of how this sermon was preached, you realize it wasn't a one-time sermon, but it was a continual sermon. And so throughout his ministry, he just, he really fleshed out these principles. So this would be like his life messages, if you will, this would be his life sermon. And so I've entitled, it's an interesting title, and I explained the title of the series and the the sermon title tonight. The title of the series is Happiness is a Serious Problem. And I'll explain where that title came from and why. And so the title of this message is, is Our Search for Happiness. And so Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll, we'll read the 12 verses, but we're going to focus on verse 1 and 2 in just a second. Uh, but, but when you look at this, Jesus said that the only place that you can find constant happiness is, is, is in an authentic or real relationship with God. And so this book, Happiness is a Serious Problem, is where I got the series. I totally ripped the name off from this book that was written by, na- by, by a guy by the name of Dennis Prager. And so the book came out in, in 1998, didn't get a lot of press. It was reprinted in 2019, and all of a sudden it hit the New York Times bestseller list. It became a popular book. The uh, fact is the New York Times said of this book that it was a human repair manual and that every person should read this book. And so it was just a few, just a few months ago that I was traveling and I needed a book to read because I, I'm not that type of person that can sleep on airplanes and, and I'm not really a movie person on airplanes. And so uh, that's probably more information than you guys need to know about me, right? But anyway, so I read. And so I picked up this book, and then as I'm reading through that, this book, I'm like, oh, my word, Jesus talked about these principles or about this or the answer to this in the Sermon on the Mount. And when you look at this, you realize that Dennis Prager, now listen, this isn't a Christian work at all, but this was a lot of research that he did, a lot of interviews that he did, and this is what he came as he worked through this issue of, of happiness. And so Dennis Prager would say this, unhappiness is easy. Unhappiness doesn't take any effort. And Dennis Prager would say happiness, to be happy, takes a lot of work. Jesus would say this, happiness takes a a lot of work. Happiness takes God in your life, and happiness is is a discipline. And so if you go to this place where you decide, you know what, I'm just going to just find out what is happiness. You know what I learned and what Dennis Prager learned? Nobody has an earthly good, good answer. You can pull up Webster's Dictionary if you would like, and so I'll read some of it. It says, when you look at the definition, characterized by good luck, fortunate, enjoying, showing, or marked by pleasure, satisfaction, or joy, being especially well-adapted or cheerful. Does that help anybody? It's not really clear, right? 
And so most people go through life on search for happiness, hoping, expecting that something wonderfully happens to them so that they're all of a sudden happy. Whether it's success, whether it's popularity, whether it's money, whether it's a relationship, whether it's situation or circumstance in life. And so when you look at this, it never really comes because they view happiness as being dependent upon circumstances or situations in their life. And so Dennis Prager in his book, and, and, and I was caught by this, I'm just going to quote him, I'm just going to read it, and then we'll look at the scriptures. Here's what he said about, about happiness. He said, yes, there is a secret to happiness. Now remember, this is not a Christian work, but it's interesting what he found. And Jesus spoke about this, and the scripture spoke about, spoke about this thousands of years before this book ever came out. He said, yes, there is a secret to happiness, and it is gratitude. All happy people are grateful people. And ungrateful people cannot be happy. We tend to think it is being unhappy that leads people to complain. But it is truer to say that it is complaining that leads to people becoming unhappy. Become grateful and you will become a much happier person. Because gratitude is the key to happiness. Anything that undermines gratitude must undermine happiness. And nothing undermines gratitude as much as expectations. In other words, the more expectations, or may I say unrealistic expectations, you place on other people, you place on yourself, you place on circumstances, what he says, what Scripture says, the less gratitude that you'll have in your life. Because it will be impossible for someone to live up to your expectations or a situation to live up to your expectations. When you look at this, gratitude is the most important component of happiness, and it's largely dependent upon receiving what we do not expect to receive. And so Jesus would simply say this. Jesus would say happiness can be attained under virtually any circumstance you go through in life. Providing that you believe that your life has purpose, your life has meaning, and this life has purpose and meaning. We found that to be true, and this is just a little bit of extra, but we found that to be true in Viktor Frankl's life. And I don't know if you know anything about Viktor Frankl, but he, worked, he wrote a classic work called, um, I just forgot it, Man's, Man's Pursuit of Meaning or something like that. Man's Pursuit of Meaning, something like that. But Viktor Frankl... Uh, was in a Nazi concentration camp, and he's a believer. And all of a sudden, it was observed of Viktor Frankl that he was happier than the men that were guarding him. He was happier than the men that were torturing him because Viktor Frankl found the secret from the Sermon on the Mount of how to, how to be grateful in any situation, how to have gratitude in, in, in any situation. Because we all know people, right, who have had relatively easy life, pain-free lives, who are essentially unhappy. And yes, we've also known those other people that have gone through great trauma and difficulty and pain in their life, and all of a sudden you look at them and they are truly happy people. From research, they found that nothing in this world Nothing in this world can give you lasting happiness. You can take and ask the Google, and I asked the Google right before the service. I just typed in. I say, hey, Google, what about happiness? 12.2 million hits came up of articles and websites. I went to Amazon, and I did a search on books on happiness. Do you realize there's over 3,500 books on this issue of happiness? 
And so when you look at this, I think it's important, especially the season and the times in which we live, because here's what I'm finding, and and I'll talk about that a little bit more, but here's what I'm finding. More and more people, because the time and the circumstance and the situations that we are in, I'm finding are struggling with this issue of happiness. And I'm finding that a lot of people are struggling with this issue of just being grateful and just having gratitude. So here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. We're going to read all the way through it because this is where we're going over the next several weeks. We'll take one beatitude a week, but we're going to focus in on verse 1 and 2 as we just as an introductory sermon. Here's what he says, starting with verse 1. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, so here are the Beatitudes. And that this is counterculture. I get it. But it goes against the grain of our culture and the grain of our times. It tells you what it takes to be happy. Blessed are the poor in spirit, or blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven for that it is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So when you look at this, you realize that Jesus used the word blessed or blessing over and over and over in these beatitudes. And so now you have to come to the place and say, well, what is a blessing? How do you define a blessing in your life? Because sometimes a difficult season in your life can be a blessing, right? There's many of you in this room that would say, you know what, I went through a difficult season in my life, and it turned out to be a blessing in my life. Either I met Christ, or something happened in my life, I I developed character, I developed a closer walk with God, that God did something in my life. So when you look at this issue of blessing, how do you define out what it means to be blessed? So when you look at the word in the Greek, makarios is the word that Jesus used here. Makarios simply means, it's the the best definition of, of happy, that there is, it means happy, contentment, or to be fulfilled, or fulfillment. It's the word, it's actually the word for happiness. Uh, to, to be blessed is to be happy. To have a blessing is to have happiness in your life that is not dependent on your situation and not dependent on your circumstances. In other words, an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ will allow you and allow me to have happiness that is not, listen, not based on your situations and your circumstances. And when I preach this message, and when we walk through through these Beatitudes, I just need you to know, I am not teaching this in theory. Over the last six years, not only me, but my family have had to learn to find happiness in every one of these beatitudes and what does it mean to find happiness and what does it mean to find joy when Jesus talks about you're blessed if you do this he's saying he's just simply saying you will be happy if you do this it's the exact same word and so tonight we just start a journey 
We just start a journey through the Beatitudes about every season of, of life of trying to find happiness, gratitude that is not based upon your circumstances or situations that you find yourselves in, but it's based upon your relationship with Jesus Christ and knowing, knowing that your life has purpose, your life has meaning, and this life, this life has meaning. So I have four things for you tonight. I know I normally have three, but tonight's bonus night, so, uh, so I have four, and, but the same amount of time, so don't worry. If you're one of those people that, oh, no, it's going to go really late tonight. No, it's not. It'd be the same amount of time. So I got four things for you tonight as we look at this, just start this off together. The first one is this. Uh, Jesus had a vision for people, and Jesus had a vision for people, and I, for one, are thankful that he had a vision for people because that means he had a vision for me, and he has a vision for you. So verse 1, he says, when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, he sat down, and his disciples came to him. So when you look at this, and it said he saw the crowds, saw simply means perceived, and so he noticed something, he perceived something, he perceived something when he saw people, he had a vision for people. So when you see people, what do you see? I mean, when you see people, do you see your comfort? Do you see your happiness? Are you able to see their needs? Are you able to see their struggles? So when you see people, what are you able to see? What about the, what about the people around you? What about the people you go to work with or maybe go to school with? What, are the pe- what about the people in your community? What about your family? What, what about your church? When you see people, what, what do you see? Many times we, we miss seeing, I think, what, what Jesus saw. And sometimes we can get so caught up in trying to find our happiness or our fulfillment that all of a sudden we miss seeing what is going on inside of somebody else. I mean, one of the, one of the reasons that Karen and I, and I'm telling you, one of, the, one of our favorite things that we do in ministry is, is take groups to, to Israel. And because it's, it's, it's truly a spiritual journey. It's not so much sightseeing. Uh, there's a lot of that, and there's a lot of walking and, and, and some of the other things. But it's truly an Emmaus Road experience. It's, it's truly God revealing himself to people when they pull away and they go to some of the holy sites and see some of the things. But, but some of the bonus things for Karen and I is just leading a group through Israel but we, we travel together, uh, we really get to know each other, we eat meals together, we sit down. But one of our favorite things to do is just hear somebody else's story. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Everybody has a story and everybody's story is powerful. And there's something about just sitting down with somebody and just simply asking a question, just tell me your story. Just tell me your story. And a lot of times we think our story isn't that special or isn't that powerful. But everybody has a story, and everybody's story is powerful. Everybody has needs. And see, when Jesus looked at people, he didn't so much see crowds. He saw individuals. He saw people. That's one of the reasons our, our vision statement for the church is we want to see people encouraged and forgiven and set free and empowered and serving in a way that God has designed them then we want people to know that they're individuals and God sees you. And we want them to be encouraged. And we want them to come to the place to where they accept Christ so they're forgiven of their sins. 
And they're set free. That's discipleship. They're set free from the sins of their past. They're set free from the bondage. And they can walk in the freedom of being a Christian and the freedom that the Scripture said. And then they come to the place to where they're empowered and to where they understand the Holy Spirit resides in them and that he has a ministry for them. And then they're serving the way that God has designed them. And so because when you look at this, you realize that Jesus wasn't focused just on crowds. Jesus was focused on people. And Jesus was focused on meeting the needs of people. And a church, a biblical church, is focused on people and focused on the needs of people. And the reason a church focuses on people because people matter to God. And people matter to God a great deal. So when you look at this, Jesus is saying in the Beatitudes, there's seasons we're all going to go through. And so there's seasons we're going to go through. We're going to go through seasons of being spiritually dry. And we're going to go through seasons when, guess what? We are brokenhearted. And we're going to go through seasons where we mourn. And we're going to go through seasons where we're spiritually hungry. And we're going to go through seasons where we just need to be shown mercy. We just need somebody to show us mercy and grace. And we're going to need to go, and we're going to go through seasons where we're just pure in heart and we just have this desire just to see God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the man, how happy is the woman that just takes refuge, just takes refuge in him. That we believe that we're going to see the goodness of the Lord in the life that we're living, the life that we're living today. That it's a, it's, it's a possibility that we can see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And there's times that we're going to need to be a peacemaker and try to help people and minister to people. And there's times, guess what, that we're going to be persecuted and we're going to be insulted and we're going to be criticized. And when you look at this, when those things happen in your life, you have to understand that your happiness is not dependent upon your circumstances in your situation. And I'm telling you, unhappiness is easy. Just do nothing. Happiness through these seasons of life takes work. And it takes discipline. And it takes coming to the place that you're just grateful. Listen, instead of letting this this society, this culture, these world events cause you to be more and more cynical and angry and bitter, how about they cause you to be more grateful because guess what? God is taking care of you in the midst of all this stuff. And God is providing for you to where you move to this place, to where you're just able just to be grateful because when Jesus saw crowds, he didn't see large masses of people blending together. He just simply saw those needs and he met needs. How do you, how do you see people? I'm becoming, listen, especially because of what we've walked through these last five or six years, I am really, really sensitive more so ever in my ministry, just to the needs of people. And when you see people, what do you see? There's a, there's a, a hole-in-the-wall restaurant in Pueblo that I love, and, um, and so I don't always go for quality. I go for quantity. <laughs> I'm still at that stage in my life, and I don't know that I'll ever get out of that stage, but I, you know what, I go, you know what, and... It, and it, the place doesn't even have to be clean. I don't care. I don't care. You know what? If the food tastes good and if it's quantity, you know what? I'm, I'm there. I'm there. You'll find me there, right? I'm, some of you know. You've gone to lunch with me. You know. And so there's this, there's this hole-in-the-wall place that I, I just call and get takeout. And, and so, I, so I, this young girl, 
like always works the, the counter and uh, the takeout, whatever. I, I want to be careful because I don't want to, anyway. And so this last week, I called in my order. And so I, I know her name because she always, you know, I'm a regular. And so uh, I, something just happened. I saw something in her face and I said, hey, are you okay? And all of a sudden she looked at me. She said, I'm not okay. Man, with everything that's going on in the world, with Ukraine and this and that and gas prices and inflation and everything else, she says, I'm, man, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. And so we just, we just had a conversation over a cheap takeout order. When you see people, what do you see? Here while back, I was playing golf and this guy looked over at me. We got paired up, and this guy looked over at me. He said, hey, pastor, because he found out I was a pastor. And so, hey, pastor, I, I need prayer. And I'm like, well, I charge for golf prayers. <laughs> I wasn't real sensitive at that moment, right? I said, you know what? If it's to shave off a handicap, you know what? I can do it, but it's going to cost you some money. And so he laughed, and he looked at me, and all of a sudden, I felt convicted. He looked at me and got a and he goes, I'm not talking about a golf prayer. I need help. I need help. When Jesus saw people, Jesus didn't see a crowd. Jesus saw individuals, individuals' needs, individual hurts, individual pain. The reason people matter to Fellowship of the Rockies is because people matter to God. In a vision of any church should never be on the size that that church wants to become. That is not a vision. The vision of a church should always be on meeting the needs, the spiritual needs, the emotional needs, the physical needs of people, of people. See, I believe that's why Jesus always had a crowd wherever he went, because he just simply met needs. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the man? How happy is the woman that takes refuge in him? Tonight, God sees you. I'm telling you, based upon his word, God sees you right where you are. He knows exactly what your needs are tonight. Even if you've never told a spouse, a friend, a loved one, someone that you go to church with, I'm telling you, he sees your needs. He, he knows your pain. He knows where you are. He knows what season you're in, where you're mourning, you're brokenhearted, you're spiritually dry, you just need mercy. He is not judging you. He is not condemning you. He is not criticizing you. And if a church is to be a church that God has called them to be, then a church, and it just sounds so simple, right? 
just as willing to minister to people and willing to meet the needs of people. See, Jesus never had a problem drawing a crowd because he met needs. I believe that's why he walked on water because that was the only place he could get rid of people and just have time alone. And Jesus always, listen, Jesus always, he always put people at ease. Just the way he communicated with them, just the way it was just such love and it was just such kindness and it was such grace. His first sermon, let me just tell you something. Blessed are. Just blessed are. Second thing is this, Jesus, Jesus saw more than a, a crowd. Jesus had a reaching plan for people. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And then you get a glimpse of this plan, and he developed uh, his plan in response to their needs. Once he saw the, the needs, he, he gathered his disciples. And the Scripture says that he went up on the mountainside, the Mount of Beatitudes, and, and I've already talked a little bit about it. It's just a natural amphitheater. It's, 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 right, it's right on the water. It's a beautiful piece of land, and you can easily see how someone in a natural speaking voice could communicate to a large group of people. And then all of a sudden, he notices them, and he calls his disciples with him. And so part of his plan was not only the large group, but then to, to break them down into smaller groups of people with disciples so that they could minister to one another. We'd call those life groups or Bible studies or some of those other things. We'd call it discipleship, to where all of a sudden they could have one-to-one -one teaching and training and walking through the scriptures together. And so when you look at this, you realize that this was really important to Jesus to, to help people to develop in their faith discipleship so that they become more and more like Christ. And so when you look at this, you realize that Jesus broke this group down into smaller groups of people so that they could minister to one another, they could pray for one another, they could care for one another, and they could serve one another. The third thing is this, is Jesus had a true desire to meet the needs of people. And Jesus had a true desire to meet the needs of people. Verse 1, again, he said, when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, that phrase, after he sat down, is important, and his disciples came to him. So, so rabbis taught, rabbis taught in two ways. And you can still go to Israel today, and you can still see rabbis doing this to this day. So rabbis would teach in two different ways. One, they would teach by they were like strolling or they were walking. And you can see that today. They'll, they'll carry the, the Torah. They'll carry the scriptures. And they'll have young men and women behind them. And they're walking and they're, they're teaching. And so that's one way that rabbis would teach. But when a rabbi had something really important to teach, that a rabbi would always sit down. And when a rabbi would sit down, that all of a sudden the students knew that this was something serious. This is where we get the philosophy in colleges, like the chair of philosophy or the chair of ethics in, in our colleges or the chair of, of economics or the chair of music or whatever. And it's, it's, it's where it emphasizes a teaching point. And so in this patch, passage teaches us that it's in the imperfect tense. So this is like an ongoing message that Jesus had with them. In other words, this wasn't a one-time teaching that Jesus just rolled this sermon out once and he never preached it again. That he was continually teaching the disciples this. He was continually teaching them these principles. And Jesus would say that I, I really want you to understand this. Why? Because these are the keys to life. These are the keys for you to be able to have happiness, contentment, fulfillment in any season of life. 
And listen, I haven't, I haven't totally figured it out yet. I still struggle at it, but I am working hard because I have come to the place to realize happiness is a dis- discipline, and happiness takes work, and happiness takes us being grateful for what God is doing in our life. And Christianity is authentic relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and it doesn't start there. It impacts the people around you. Galatians 6, 2, and 3, he's speaking into the church. Paul was speaking into the church, and he says, carry one another's burdens in this way. You will fulfill the law of Christ, for if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So the scripture says that we should be willing to carry each other's burdens. Now, when you, when you look at this, it's, it, verse, verse, uh, verse 2, and then verse 10, he talks about carrying a load. And so verse 2, he says, carrying a burden, carry one another's burdens. That word burden simply means this, carrying something that is too heavy for you to bear too heavy for you to carry, that when you go through a period, when you are going through a situation and it's too heavy for you to carry, that's when you need people around you that can lift that burden and can help you. And that's why in church we minister to one another. Verse 10, he says that everybody should be willing to carry their own load. In other words, we all have a responsibility, what's in church, what's in family, what's in relationships, that we have a load to carry. We have a responsibility to carry what is ours. But in those times when we have relationships around us that are carrying a burden that is too heavy for them to carry, we should be willing to help them carry their burden in these times of of life. And, and Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so how do you delight yourself in the Lord? Tell him what you're grateful for. It's gratitude. Some of the darkest times of our life, we have ended every day, every day before we had dinner. What are three things that you're grateful for today? Call it out. What are three things? What are three things you're thankful for? What are three things that you're grateful for? That did wonders for us. That did wonders for our family. That did wonders for our grandkids. Just to hear them say, this is what I'm thankful for. This is what I'm grateful for. And sometimes with grandkids, it's stinking hilarious, right? But it also shows their childlike faith that it doesn't take much sometimes for them to be grateful. The last thing is this, is Jesus always spoke the truth in love. Jesus always spoke the truth in love. Verse 2, then he began to teach them saying. He was willing just just to speak the truth in love. I mean, when you look at this and where we're going the next several weeks where we walk through the Beatitudes, this is honestly like the preamble for the, the Christian life. It's how to, have a, how to have an authentic Christian life. How to be able to find true happiness in the Lord that is not dependent upon circumstances and, and situations. He's talking about this is kingdom living. But he's also talking about describing describing the king. There's a really good friend of mine, and forever since I can remember, 
I'd always, you know, when we would see each other for the first time or whatever, I have a habit of saying, how are you? And so I'd say, how are you? He'd always say, I got a great life. And then he would just laugh. And so I've, I've noticed that over the years and over lunches and everything. I understand why that is, and I think it's awesome. And he would just always say, I got a great life, and he'd laugh. I got a great life, and laugh. But really what caught my attention was this last week, I, I saw him, and I said, how you doing? He said, I got a great life. And then all of a sudden, he looked at me and kind of laughed. Oh, my truck got stolen today. And he, he loved his truck. He had, a, he, was one, he had a relationship with that truck. And I did too, because I would have bought that truck if he'd ever sell it. And so, but I'm not the one that stole it. And so... Uh, <laughs> And I thought, how crazy. He lost his truck today. You know, when a man has a relationship with a truck, that's a big deal. And he still said, I got a great life. And then a few days later, he texted me back and said, hey, I got a great life. My, my truck came back. And so I don't even know the story yet. I'll find out the story. But that mentality is what Jesus is talking about. Just an interesting story. We'll close with this. This last time in Israel, Hani was our guide. Hani was a Palestinian Christian. He's Arab, 32 years old. He'll be my guide for life. Um, we'd been at, and, and so he's born in Nazareth. And so, so just real quickly, it's just an ADD moment. But, you know, the scripture says what good could come out of Nazareth. And so Hani and I decided we had one thing in common. I'm from Texas. He's from Nazareth. Yeah, so we, we, said, we said, okay, so we're supposed to be together because there are people that say what good could come out of Texas, right? So, uh, so Hani, his faith was, his life was radically changed. And this young man is passionate about just opening up the scriptures and talking. And so we'd been at the Mount of Beatitudes and we're talking about, we're in the bus and we're headed to the next site and Hani and I are up front and we're just talking. And so I said, you know, Jesus is talking about blessed being happy. What do you think about that? And he said, well, here's an interesting story. He says, so this is Jewish tradition, Jewish legend. We don't know if it really happened, but this is Jewish tradition. King Solomon, the wisest man to have ever lived, got concerned, and so he called in a jeweler. And he said, I need you to make me a magic ring that when I'm sad and gloomy, it will make me happy. And then when I'm way too happy, it will bring me back a little bit. And so I need that ring so that I'm more consistent in my personality, so I'm more consistent in this area of happiness. And so the jeweler went away and thought about it and came back and he wrote in the ring, he wrote on the, the outside of the ring, he wrote uh, four Hebrew words. This too shall pass. And I think sometimes we just need to remember that. And when we're going through difficulties, whether it's marriage, whether it's relationships, whether it's situations in life or circumstances, guess what? This too, this too shall pass. You bow your heads with me and close your eyes.